بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين خطز جت سنتر السب ديفيجن of the Sheikh Eid bin Muhammad Al Thani Charity Association is pleased to present to you this series of lectures from the book entitled Minhaj Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'ah Fil Aqeedah Wal Amal The Methodology of the People of Sunnah in Matters of Creed and Actions by a Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Salih Ibn Uthaymeen Rahimahullah Assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray. And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that he has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger. In this, our final lecture in our series of Al-Aqid al-Islamiyyah from the essay of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, Minhaj Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, we would like to just quickly review points number four and five which we took in the previous lecture number nine before going on to the final points uh, of the essay of the Shaykh. Last week we discussed the tariqah of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah or the way of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the Haqq al Sahaba radiallahu anhum concerning the right of the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam radiallahu anhum. And we said that of the minhaj or the tariqah or the way of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah concerning the Sahaba is that we must, we must acknowledge the rank or the worth of the companions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and acknowledge that they are the best of this Ummah, the best of the Muslim Ummah, that whoever came after them would not be equal to them. And this is proven by the statement of the Prophet وسلم, Yani that the best of the people are my generation and then those who follow them and then those who follow them. And also I would like to add, perhaps I didn't mention last week, that many of the scholars have defined who is a companion or a sahabi and the most correct opinion that was mentioned by the scholars of hadith is that a companion is someone who met three conditions. Number one, they met the Messenger of Allah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam during his lifetime. And when they met him, they were a believer. They believed in him and his mission and his message. And number three, that they died as a Muslim. Yani if somebody met the Prophet while they were not a believer, but they became a believer after his death, they are not considered a Sahaba. And if someone met him, during his lifetime and they were a believer but they apostated then likewise they are not considered to be a sahabi but the sahaba is the one who met the prophet in his lifetime and they were believing in him when they met him and they died on islam we also said that while the companions of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam are the best of this ummah not all of them are equal but some of them as individuals have preference and superiority 
over others. And we mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتلوا وقلا وعد الله الحسنى that not equal amongst you amongst the Sahaba or those who spent and fought before the conquest of Mecca they are not equal with those who fought and spent in the way of Allah after the conquest of Mecca but those who fought before the conquest they have a higher degree than those who spent in the way of Allah and fought afterwards and Allah has promised to all of them a great reward and Allah is aware of whatever you do we also said that the best of the Sahaba the best of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, are the four rightly guided Khalifas that is in their order of Khilafah in their order of the term of rulership Abu Bakr then Umar then Uthman then Ali radiallahu anhum ajma'een and we also said that the fact of the superiority of these four over the others it doesn't mean that there is no companion who might have some uh, virtue or particular trait or outstanding feature that distinguish him over the others while in the general sense the best of Sahaba is Abu Bakr and then Umar and then Uthman and then Ali but some of them may have some virtues over others the fact that some of the companions were recognized for a particular distinction over others was proven in the hadith recorded by Al-Bukhari when there was a difference between Khalid ibn Walid and Abdurrahman ibn Awf and Khalid had spoken harshly to Abdurrahman the Prophet said to Khalid who was also one of his companions but he said to him making a clear distinction between some of the companions and others he said لا تصب أصحابي yani don't speak harshly against my companions showing that there is a distinction of some of them over others and we also said that some of the companions possess a, a merit or a virtue or a superiority which others do not possess and this must also be acknowledged and recognized and an example of this is the case of the companions who are from the family, the direct blood relations of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ali Bayt al-Rasul such as Ali ibn Abi Talib Hamza al-Abbas and his son Abdullah ibn Abbas and others radiallahu anhum ajma'in now this is the summary of what we covered in the point, point number 4 and in point number 5 uh, we discussed the tariqah of the Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah fi haqq al-awliya wal yani what is the minhaj or the way of the Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah concerning the rights of the awliya, the friends of Allah and the a'imma, the imam of the Muslim ummah and in brief we said that concerning the imam they are not considered to be infallible they are not ma'asum but they are capable of error although they are the great scholars of the Sharia, of the Divine Law, and they are well known and recognized for their achievements and their accomplishments, uh, but we don't believe that they are infallible, that they are incapable of making a mistake. But we said that the only one who was protected from mistakes, and if he made a mistake, then he would be corrected, that was the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Otherwise, any other person who made a mistake, might die on their mistake without being corrected but the correction of their mistake is that we don't follow anyone no one is yeah, any perfect in their delivery of the message or in 
establishing or delivering the law except the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is why Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Quran that obedience is due to Allah and to His Messenger in the absolute sense while obedience to others is conditional in that they order us to do that which is an obedience to Allah. And Allah says in the Quran, Ya Yahladina Amanu, Allah wa Rasul. Obey Allah and obey the Messenger of Allah wa Amri Minkum. And he added to that those in authority from amongst you that they should also be obeyed, but in accordance with their command being subject to the command of Allah and His Messenger. Concerning the awliya of Allah, the friends of Allah, we said that just as the Imams are recognized due to their accomplishments and achievements, so also we recognize and confirm that they are awliya, friends of Allah, those who are close to Allah due to their Iman and their good deeds, but also we don't claim infallibility for them, nor do we believe that they have supernatural powers. Uh, and the proof that the awliya of Allah are not some supernatural human beings, but they are actually those who believe. And those who have taqwa is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Yunus, chapter 10, verse 62 and 63, Ala inna awliya Allah la khawfun alayhim wa lahum yahzanoon. Isn't it so that the awliya of Allah are those who have no fear upon them, nor shall they grieve? Who are the awliya of Allah? They are those who believe, who have belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they have taqwa. In their actions, their obedience to what Allah has commanded and their void, what Allah has prohibited. So that the conditions or the characteristics of the awliya of Allah are those who have iman, faith, and those who have taqwa, righteousness. Ah. We also said that the awliya of Allah are not, it is not a necessary fact that every wali of Allah must perform karamat, that is, extraordinary or supernatural feats. And there are many awliya of Allah friends of Allah who lived and died without having performed any karama. This is because the karama is normally used by Allah to support the truth and to repulse falsehood, not necessarily to confirm that a particular person is a wali of Allah. Uh, we also said in closing that the final point the Shaykh made is the distinction between the use of the word mu'ajizah, which is commonly translated as miracles, and ayah, which is commonly referred to or translated as a sign. And he said that the more proper Qur'anic expression or terminology for supernatural uh, events that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused to happen at the hands of the prophets or of the awliya of Allah, it is more proper to refer to it as ayah, as a sign rather than a mu'ajizah, because a mu'ajizah is something that someone may be able to do due to their strength or other capabilities while others are incapable of doing it. And a mu'ajizah is not necessarily, the linguistic meaning of mu'ajizah is not necessarily referring to the miracle or that thing which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes to happen at the hands of a prophet or a messenger or one of the awliya of Allah. So this is what we covered in the previous lecture and also uh, there was a question that came late at the end of the lecture last week 
concerning some of the karamat or these amazing or supernatural yani, feats that some of the awliya were allowed to perform by permission from Allah and you may refer to Riyad al-Salihin uh, for some authentic hadith which have been reported by Al-Imam al-Nawwi rahimahullah in which he narrated and reported uh, some of the incidents that took place from amongst them one of the companions of the Prophet who was martyred by the enemies of Islam, by the pagan disbelievers and they wanted to cut up his body, to take some parts of his body and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a army or a swarm of bees or wasps to hover, hover over his body so that those people couldn't touch him. Another example of such things is that it is reported that Umar ibn al-Khattab whenever he used to think something to be a certain way then it used to turn out to be as he expected it to be. Uh, and there are so many examples that he mentions there. From amongst them also is the occasion where Umar ibn al-Khattab saw some of the Muslims when they were surrounded by some of the enemies of Islam on a battlefield in another land. And he called out to them and told them to hide behind the mountain, to go behind the mountain for protection. And they heard him, though they were in another land. And this is from amongst the amazing things that Allah has allowed to happen. As well in the Quran, there's the story of Maryam, Mary, the mother of Isa, Jesus, السلام, who was given uh, fruit to eat that were out of season. And the people wondered how did she have these fruits when they were not available to anyone else at that time. And likewise, one of the Muslims who was in captivity to the disbelievers, he was found uh, to be eating grapes in Mecca at a time when grapes were not available. And all of these are some things that Allah allowed to happen uh, as special favor to those who are close and near to him. And the examples of this are many. If anyone will refer to Riyadh al-Saliheen, the chapter concerning the karamat of the awliya, for the amazing feats of the friends of Allah, they will find a number of authentic hadith dealing with this matter. The topic that we want to discuss today are the final points of the essay of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Taymeen, that the tariqah to ahli sunnah wal-jama'ah fi al-islah fi al-mujtama'ah. Yani what is the way of the ahli sunnah wal-jama'ah concerning the rectification or the correction and reformation of the Muslim society. The Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah hold the view that the Islamic society cannot be completed, cannot be perfected in terms of its correction and reformation and improvement except that it moves along according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated in the Qur'an and through the example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for the society. For this reason, the Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah hold that al-amr bil-ma'roof and al-nahyid and al-munkar that is the commanding of good, the ordering of good and the prohibiting or forbidding of evil that it is a necessary fundamental principle in the Islamic society that has to be enacted or implemented. Al-amr bil-ma'roof, commanding good, ordering the people to do good, and al-nahyu an al-munkar, and prohibiting the people from evil, is a very important fundamental principle that has to be applied. It is a reformative element 
in the Muslim society that Muslims should understand it is necessary in order for the society to be reformed and to be corrected or to be improved or to be refined. Al-Ma'roof, the definition of Al-Ma'roof or the good things, the exact definition of it is whatever the Sharia or the Divine Law has recognized, acknowledged and confirmed to be good. Whatever the Divine Law recognized and confirms to be good, this is Al-Ma'roof. So we say that we should command Al-Ma'roof, Al-Amr bil-Ma'roof, it means ordering others and ourselves first to do that which has been recognized and approved by the Sharia as good. Likewise, Al-Munkar is everything that the Sharia has rejected or disapproved of and declared it to be haram or forbidden. Whatever the Sharia has rejected and declared to be forbidden, this is Al-Munkar. Evil is that which the Sharia, the divine law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, declares to be evil. For this reason, the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah consider that the Muslim society will not be corrected except by the use of this fundamental reformative principle of commanding the good and forbidding the evil. Whenever this principle is lost, when it is not implemented, then we find that the people will be divided and separated. And this has been hinted at in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةً يَدَعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْحَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Let there be, there must be from amongst you an ummah, a nation or a body of people inviting or calling to al-khayr, to the good, al-islam. And يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ Commanding the ma'ruf, that which the sharia declares to be good, وَيَنْحَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ And prohibiting that which the sharia declares to be evil. These, they are the ones who will be al-muflihoon, the successful. وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ تَفَرَّقُوا وَاخْتَلَفُوا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ And don't, Allah prohibits us, He orders us, don't be like those who تَفَرَّقُوا, who divided, وَاخْتَلَفُوا, divided amongst themselves and differed. مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ After the clear evidence had, the, had come to them, after the truth had come to them, and the revelation and the guidance came to them, they still separated amongst themselves and differed in those things that were made clear in the revelation. وَأُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ That these are those who will have a terrible or an awful punishment. And this is mentioned in Surah Al-Yaman, chapter 3, verse 104 and 105. In this ayah there is a hint, a hint or an indication that the people who call to the good and forbid the wrong, they will be successful, they will enjoy al-falah or success. While those who don't do so, they, Allah warns us from being like them, He said don't be like those who separate amongst themselves and who differ amongst themselves after the bayinat, the clear evidence came to them. These are the people who will have a terrible punishment because they separated and differed due to the fact that they didn't call to the good and forbid the wrong. This particular uh, corrective or reformative or rectifying principle, the fundamental principle of enjoining the good and forbidding the wrong, unfortunately in the present day that we are living in now, in this day and time, it has been lost or almost lost completely because you can hardly find a member of the society today commanding the good or forbidding the wrong 
even in the smallest circle of their close friends or their office place or in their home except rarely except rarely you can hardly find anyone enjoining the good and forbidding the wrong in the society today and this is unfortunately it is a terrible calamity that has befallen the Muslim society in that evil is allowed to spread while no one prohibits it and the good has been abandoned while no one orders it whenever the people are left in this way then you will find that every person will do whatever they feel like doing and therefore the people will become divided but if the good is commanded and the evil is prohibited then the people will be rectified and reformed and the society will be corrected unfortunately uh, the commanding of the good and the forbidding of wrong which leads to the unity of the Muslim ummah and the correction of the society uh, it has almost been lost today not only that the shaykh goes on to say that it isn't a necessity that whatever you as an individual might consider to be ma'roof or good that the next person will also consider it to be ma'roof or good except in the case where there is no room for ijtihad where there is no room for opinion except in those issues where the sharia has defined clearly that something is good or something is evil in that case then everyone has to agree because we have to accept that which came in the divine revelation otherwise in those things where there is room for ijtihad where there is room for personal opinion then you will find that one person considers something to be ma'roof and another person doesn't consider it to be so in that case we must always go back to the reference the final reference and the final source of judgment that is the book of Allah and the sunnah of the messenger of Allah in order to determine really what is really good and what is evil Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders us to do so in a verse in the Quran in Surah Al-Nisa chapter 4 verse 59 فَإِن تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَرُدُّهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُ that if you differ in any matter then refer it to Allah and His Messenger in kuntum tu'minuna billahi that is if you indeed believe Allah in the last day Dani, we are always we are ordered to obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those in authority from amongst us and if we differ in any matter فَإِن تَنَزَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ then the reference that we go back to فَرَضُّهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ refer back to Allah meaning the book of Allah Al-Quran وَالرَّسُولِ and the Messenger of Allah meaning the Sunnah the example and the teaching and guidance of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam this is what we would do if we are indeed believers in Allah and believers in the last day, the day of judgment, the day when we be called to account for how we acted in this world. Uh, so therefore, the way of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah concerning this very important matter, uh, this matter, the commanding of good and the forbidding of wrong, which is a special characteristic that is a cause of preference for the Muslim Ummah over the previous nations as is hinted to in the saying of Allah Kuntum khayr ummatin ukhrijat linnas that you are the best Ummah that has been raised up for the people that has been missioned or sent to the people and it is because of the reason of calling to good ta'muruna bil ma'roof wa tanhawna anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah it is because you command the good and forbid the evil and believe in Allah but if we are not commanding the good and forbidding the evil 
then that preference that has been given to the Muslim Ummah will be lost. The superiority and the khayriya or the goodness of the Muslim Ummah that is referred to in this saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be lost if we are not being described by the characteristic of commanding the good and forbidding the wrong. For this reason, uh, we say that Al-Amr bin Ma'roof bin Munkar calling to the good or commanding the good and forbidding the wrong, it is a very important fundamental element, a corrective, reformative and rectifying element in the Islamic society. Uh, here the Shaykh says that though this is a very important and fundamental element in the Muslim society for correction and reformation and improvement and refinement, there are some matters that need to be given consideration or, atten- or attention. Three important matters that need to be given attention. The first of them is that a person, before commanding the good or forbidding the wrong, has to be knowledgeable of the Islamic ruling concerning the particular matter that they are commanding someone to do or forbidding someone from. Yani, the person has to have knowledge from the Sharia, from the divine law, what is the hukum or ruling concerning that thing? Does the Sharia actually identify that this thing is a ma'roof, a good thing, or that this thing is a munkar, an evil thing? We have to have knowledge of such before we command somebody in ignorance. As for the person who without knowledge goes and orders people to do something that he or she considers to be ma'roof in their mind, they think that it is good. While that thing is not in fact considered as ma'roof in the divine sharia. This is an act which causes more harm than the benefit that that person might intend. For this reason, if a person, for example, was raised in a society where a certain innovative practice, a bid'ah, was considered as ma'roof in that society, such as in some of the Muslim societies today, uh, some of the Muslim societies today consider modernization, yani social, uh, the social practices of the Western society, such as intermingling between men and women, for example. In some of the Muslim societies today, they have taken this principle from the Western society and they consider it as ma'roof, as good, the intermingling between men and women and the women being in the workforce, mixing with men and so on. Whoever came from such a society and thought that this was something good, and then they went from their society to another society where intermingling was not allowed where the Islamic practice was upheld of separation of men and women in the society in general, then they ordered those people in that society that they went to, they ordered them to do something that actually is not considered to be good according to the Sharia, but it was considered in their mind according to the environment that they were raised in, then this would be a terrible mistake. For this reason, we should never order anyone to do something thinking that it is good unless we know that that thing has been identified, recognized and approved as being a good, a ma'roof in the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not according to our belief or according to the environment where we were raised in. 
But we must know actually what is the real ruling in the Sharia. And that this thing is in fact a ma'roof, or a good thing according to the Sharia, before we order somebody to do it, or before we prohibit somebody from doing something that we consider to be munkar. We should be sure first that the Islamic Sharia has considered that thing as ma'roof, or considered that thing as a munkar. So the first consideration or the first factor of consideration before commanding the good and forbidding the wrong is that the person has a clear knowledge of what is good and what is wrong according to the Sharia. The second point is that the person has to know the condition of the individual that is being commanded to do something or is being prohibited from doing something. It is a necessity that one should know that in fact the ma'roof that we are ordering somebody to do that in fact they haven't already done it that they haven't already fulfilled that obligation before we order them to do it or that the munkar or the evil which we prohibit them from we should be sure that they have in fact done such an act before we prohibit them or scold them for doing something which perhaps they haven't done how many people ordered how many times did it happen that someone ordered somebody to do a ma'roof and then they come to find out that the person had already fulfilled the obligation that they had already done it in this case they only put a burden on the people and perhaps even uh, they would be lowered in their estimation and if the people would look at them uh, in a bad way due to them ordering somebody to do something which has already been done uh, we should look at the guidance of the Prophet وسلم, in that and see what was his way in commanding the good and forbidding the wrong an example which took place in the lifetime of the Prophet وسلم, is that a man entered the masjid on the day of Jum'ah, on Friday, on Yawm Jum'ah. While the Prophet وسلم, was giving the khutbah, the Friday speech, that man sat down. So the Prophet وسلم, said to him, Asallayta, have you prayed? Yani, have you performed two rak'ah on entering the masjid? Qala The man said, No, I have not. Then the Prophet وسلم, said to him, Faqum. He said, stand up then and pray two rakah. There's no doubt that the two rakah for entering the masjid, when a person first enters the masjid, performance of two rakah, which is referred to as Sahih al-Masjid, it is indeed a ma'roof, it is a good thing. There's no doubt about this. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't order him when he first saw him come in and sit down. He didn't order him to get up and pray two rakah until he first ascertained had the man perhaps prayed two rakah in a corner of the masjid or before he was seen by the Prophet ﷺ. So first we should ascertain that the person hasn't done that thing which we want to command them with or we should be sure that they have done the munkar which we want to prohibit them from. We should ascertain the reality of the condition of that person before commanding them with good or forbidding them with wrong. Likewise, the Shaykh says that if you were to order someone to do something when he has already done it, then this would be any hastiness and the absence of being patient and giving proper consideration uh, before commanding the person to do something or forbidding them to do wrong. The proper thing to do is first ask and ascertain the reality of the condition of that person. Have they in fact done the thing that we want to command them? And if they haven't at that point, when we ascertain that, then we could command the good. And likewise, the same situation, have to be sure 
that that person has in fact engaged in a munkar, that that thing that he has engaged in, or that the person has actually done such a thing before we uh, prohibit them. The Shaykh gives the example, for example, you saw a person uh, praying the, an obligatory prayer, and that person is sitting while they are praying, and then you prohibit them from doing so, telling them that you don't have the right to sit in the obligatory prayers, you must stand. Yani normally, if a person prays the obligatory prayer, they should stand. If it is a voluntary prayer, it's permissible to sit, though it's better to stand, but for the voluntary prayers, it's permissible to sit and pray. Whereas the obligatory prayer, a person must stand in doing so. So, if you saw a person performing the obligatory prayer sitting, you shouldn't prohibit them from doing so until you first ask, why are you sitting? Is there some reason? Perhaps they have a legitimate legal excuse. Perhaps they are ill or sick or they have some other reason which allows them to sit. After you know what is their condition and the reason why they are doing what you think to be wrong, at that point, without hastiness and without hurrying, but after consideration and ascertaining the truth, at that, at that point, the person might be prohibited from doing that which you consider to be wrong or ordered to do that which you consider to be good. So here, the second principle, after first ascertaining the reality in the sharia of whether something is really a munkar or a ma'roof and an evil or a good thing, we must also look at the condition of the person who is being commanded or being prohibited to be sure that we are commanding them rightly or prohibiting them rightly based on knowledge. The final point that the Shaykh mentions or the final consideration related to commanding the good and forbidding the wrong is that there shouldn't be some uh, greater harm. There shouldn't be some greater harm or evil which may come about due to someone commanding the good or forbidding the wrong. Yani the resultant harm or evil shouldn't be greater than the evil which we are prohibiting them from. Or it shouldn't be more weightier than the good that we are commanding them with. Yani if as a result of commanding someone to do something good or prohibiting them wrong, a greater harm would result from our commanding them with good or forbidding them wrong, then we shouldn't command them nor should we prohibit them, but we should be patient. Uh, this is because the general principle, and it is understood and accepted by the scholars of Sunnah, uh, إن درع المفاسد مقدم على جلب المصالح that repulsing harm or evil takes precedence over acquiring some good يعني if somebody wants to do something good to achieve some good or some benefit but as a result of that action some harm or evil may occur then repulsing the evil is more important than achieving or procuring or the acquisition of that benefit. This is a general rule that the scholars have understood and it is indicated or hinted at in the verse in the Quran in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-An'am chapter 6 verse 108 Don't uh, insult those whom the disbelievers worship or call upon besides Allah. Don't insult their false gods. 
Allah adwan bighayri ilm because if you insult their God as a result of that they might insult Allah wrongfully and without knowledge so even though the thing that you are doing speaking against a false God is considered to be a good thing but if the resultant harm or evil that comes about as a result of you uh, speaking against the evil God is that they would speak against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrongly and without knowledge then it is better to refrain from speaking ill or evil against their idols or their false gods yani repulsing the evil or preventing the evil is more important and takes precedence over achieving some good here the shaykh says that this rule it is a general rule but it's not an absolute rule yani it's not in every case that repulsing evil or harm takes precedence over achieving the good but whenever the evil or the harm is equal to the benefit or the good that you are trying to achieve in that case repulsing the evil takes precedence and likewise if the harm is greater than the good or weightier than the good that you are trying to achieve then so also repulsing the evil takes precedence however if uh, if the case would be that repulsing the evil or uh, calling to something good trying to achieve something good might result in some harm or evil which is less than the good or the benefit that you are trying to achieve if it is less than it then uh, calling to that good should be done even if it might result in some insignificant or small amount of harm or evil uh, coming about also um, the shaykh says that this particular point, this third point that considering what would be the result of your commanding the good or forbidding the wrong and if the uh, harm that might result as a result of it would be greater than the benefit that you are trying to achieve or the harm would be greater than the evil which you are trying to uh, forbid in that case you should leave the matter and let things run their course and be patient until Allah makes a way for the right to uh, come forward he said that this point is a very important point when anyone considers commanding the good or forbidding the wrong it is important to consider this uh, and he gives the example though of the case for example when some general benefit might be achieved while at the same time some small amount of insignificant harm might also result from that action uh, he says for example if the rain when it falls on the earth it benefits the land and the people and the animals that very same rain might cause harm to someone who has just built their roof on their house it might ruin the roof on his house and ruin his house and ruin all of his work his work however this harm that's caused to one individual is insignificant in the face of the general benefit that is received by everyone else the people the animals and the land itself this is an example of uh, harm that may result from something which is generally good and in, in that case the good should still be called to likewise in the matters of Sharia or in the divine law there are many examples or cases 
when the Sharia calls to something or prohibits something which brings about general benefit for the society while it may cause some harm or loss to some members of the society or few people in the society. Of the many examples found in the Sharia is the prohibition of al-riba, interest, as well as the prohibition of al-khamr, alcohol, and the prohibition of maizir, gambling. All of these things, uh, interest-bearing bank accounts, the distribution or selling of alcohol, and the allowing of gambling might bring some benefit to some people who benefit from that gambling or the selling of the alcohol or the river that is in the bank. However, although there is a loss to some of the people by the prohibition of these things, there is a more greater general benefit for the society as a whole and to the majority of the people. Therefore, looking to the general benefit of the majority outweighs and takes precedence over the loss to a few of the people. Uh, here the Sheikh closes this point by summarizing uh, the importance of these three principles and he also mentions here the principle of Tadarraj that in the case where we cannot prohibit something that is evil because it may bring about a greater evil he said then in that case it should be done yani in degrees with Tadarraj little by little until the people accept that that thing is evil and leave it uh, the final uh, point that he makes concerning this issue, he said that these three principles which must be observed is the principle that whenever commanding the good and forbidding the wrong, we should know for sure what is the Islamic ruling concerning that thing, that it is really good or that it is really evil. And we must know the condition of the people who were commanding with good or forbidding the evil, and we must be sure that the resultant harm or evil that might come about by us commanding the good or forbidding the evil will not be greater than the good which we are calling to or the evil which we are trying to prevent. The last point of the essay of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al is the saying of the Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah concerning Al-Iman, concerning the correct opinion of what is Iman. And here the Shaykh, he says, that Al-Iman or the reality of Iman amongst the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah is that it is three points conviction in the heart, speech on the tongue and actions by the limbs or the body parts and this is proven by the people of Sunnah by the saying of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Inna al-Iman bid'a'un wa sab'a'una shu'ba that verily Iman or faith it has 70 some odd branches. Alaha qawlu la ilaha illallah wa adanaha imatatu al-adhar an al-tariq. The highest branch of Iman is the saying of la ilaha illallah and the lowest branch of Iman is removing a harmful thing from the road. Wal-haya'u shu'batun min al-Iman. And also one of the branches of Iman is modesty. Here the Shaykh says that the saying of La ilaha illallah or the saying that is Iman uh, mentioned in this hadith is the saying of La ilaha illallah. This is the speech that is a part of Iman. Iman is conviction in the heart, speech on the tongue and action by the limbs or the body parts. So the speech on the tongue that is Iman is an example of it is the saying of La ilaha illallah. Whereas the actions of the limb that is a part of Iman, an example of it is removing something harmful from the road to protect the people from it. And an example of the actions of the heart 
that is a part of Iman is modesty. Having modesty is a part of Iman. Uh, also, the Shaykh says here that the conviction in the heart that is a part of Iman is like the saying of the Prophet ﷺ when he was asked by the angel Jibreel, what is Iman? And he said that Iman is an tu'min. An tu'mina billahi wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wa yawm al-akhiri wa qadri khayrihi wa sharrihi. That it is to believe in Allah. Iman is to believe, to have conviction in Allah and His angels and His books and His messengers and the last day and the divine decree, the evil and the good of it. As reported uh, in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. This hadith is reported in Muslim on the authority of Umar ibn al-Khattab. He also, the Ahl al-Sunnah wa Jama'ah also say that Iman increases and decreases. The Qur'an points to this increase while rational necessity points to the fact that everything which is confirmed to increase must necessarily have the potential to decrease. And this is mentioned, the Qur'anic proof that Iman increases are many verses in the Qur'an from amongst them وَيَزْدَادَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِيمَانًا That those who believe have increased in their Iman. And also the saying of Allah فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فَزَادَتْهُمْ إِيمَانًا That as for those who believe their Iman was increased. And this is mentioned in Surah Al-Mudathir chapter 74 verse 31 uh, and in Surah Al-Tawbah chapter 9 verse 124. Uh, <coughs> Since Iman also includes speech and actions, there is no doubt that the speech of the people differs from one person to another. The person who says, Subhanallah, Walhamdulillah, Wallahu Akbar, one time is certainly not like the one who says it 100 times. So that shows that the actions and the speech of the people differ and therefore the Iman differs. Likewise, the Iman, which is conviction in the heart, also differs in strength and weakness from one person to another. The Prophet Ibrahim Abraham is reported to have said in the Quran concerning the reality of life and death and giving life to the dead. He says, Rabbi Arini Kaifa Tuhil Mauta Kala Awalam Tu'min. He said, Show me, O my Lord, how do you give life to the dead? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, Do you not believe? He said, Kala Bala, yes indeed I believe, Walakin Liyatma in Kalbi. But I want, in order that the conviction in my heart will be stronger. This is mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 260. There's no doubt that what is reported to someone, what someone tells you about an incident that took place, is not like witnessing it with your own eyes. Therefore, we say that Al-Iman increases and decreases the righteous actions and speech as well as the conviction which is in the heart. And whoever denies this is in contradiction to the Sharia as well as the reality which we are experiencing in our life. This is the end of the essay of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, the Minhaj of Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah related to the Aqeedah beliefs and the actions and the questions, just quickly to look at the questions from these two points before closing. Uh, and this is our final meeting. Concerning the first point, what is meant by the terms al-ma'ruf and al-munkar? We said that al-ma'ruf and al-munkar is that which the sharia has defined as being good or defined as being evil. 
What is the benefit of commanding the good and forbidding the evil in the society? It brings about unity in the society and causes the people to have success by earning the pleasure of Allah. When people differ as to what is good and bad, how can we resolve their differences? We resolve those differences by referring back to the Qur'an and to the Sunnah of Muhammad to see what the Sharia has defined as being good or defined as being evil. What are the three considerations in commanding the good and forbidding the evil? Number one, to know for sure what the Sharia has defined as good and evil. And number two, to know the condition of the person who is being commanded the good or forbidden from evil. And number three, to be sure that the commanding of the good or forbidding the evil doesn't bring about a greater evil or greater harm than that which we are trying to prevent or the evil that we are call- or the good that we are calling to. What is the general principle applied to the situation where both benefit and harm may result from the same action? The general principle is the third consideration of commanding the good and forbidding the wrong, that we should be sure that the harm is not greater than the benefit that we are trying to achieve. Otherwise, we should leave off the calling to that thing. Is this an absolute principle for every situation? We said no, it's not absolute. Uh, the exception to it is the case where calling to good might bring about some harm, but that harm which it brings about or which it causes is insignificant in comparison to the good that will be brought about. And the questions related to the last point, what is the comprehensive definition of al-iman? We said that it is conviction in the heart, speech on the tongue, and actions by the body parts, it increase and decrease. It increase with acts of obedience and decrease by acts of disobedience or sin. Give a proof that Iman includes both actions and speech. This is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he said that Iman has 70 some odd branches. The highest of it is the speech of saying La ilaha illallah and the lowest of it is removing something harmful from the road. So this is the proof that Iman includes actions as well as speech. Give an example of Iman of the heart. Iman of the heart, the actions of the heart that Iman is like modesty and the conviction of the heart that is a part of Iman is the conviction or belief in Allah that He is the only God that should be worshipped and nothing else deserves to be worshipped along with Him and believing in the angels and the books and the prophets and so on. How can someone cause the Iman to increase? Iman is increased by doing acts of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just as once Iman decreases by doing acts of disobedience. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك نسأل الله لي ولكم التوفيق والإخلاص في النية والصلاح في العمل. Reading from your brothers of Qatar's guest center, a subdivision of the Sheikh Eid bin Muhammad Al Thani Charity Association. Telephone number four eight six two three nine zero. Fax. Four eight six two three five eight. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. By the morning brightness. And by the night when it covers with darkness. مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى Your Lord has not taken leave of you, O Muhammad, nor has he detested you. وَلَلْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى And the hereafter is better for you than the first life. وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْطِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَرْضَى And your Lord is going to give you and you will be satisfied. 
ألم يجدك يتيما فآوى Did he not find you an orphan and give you refuge? ووجدك ضالا فهدى And he found you lost and guided you. وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى And he found you poor and made you self-sufficient. فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرْ So as for the orphan, do not oppress him. وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرْ And as for the petitioner, do not repel him. But as for the favor of your Lord, report it. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Did we not expand for you, O Muhammad, your breast? And we removed from you your burden. Which had weighed upon your back. And raised high for you your repute. For indeed, with hardship will be ease. Indeed, with hardship will be ease. So when you have finished your duties, then stand up for worship. And to your Lord, direct your longing. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والتين والزيتون by the fig and the olive وقور سينين and by Mount Sinai وهذا البلد الأمين and by this secure city, Mecca. We have certainly created man in the best of stature. Then we return him to the lowest of the low. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ Except for those who believe and do righteous deeds, for they will have a reward uninterrupted. فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينِ So what yet causes you to deny the recompense? أليس الله بأحكم الحاكمين؟ Is not Allah the most just of judges؟ بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. اقرأ بسم ربك الذي خلق. 
recite in the name of your Lord who created. Created man from a clinging substance. Recite, and your Lord is the most generous. Who taught by the pen. Taught man that which he knew not. No, but indeed, man transgresses. Because he sees himself self-sufficient. Indeed, to your Lord is the return. Have you seen the one who forbids? A servant when he prays. Have you seen if he is upon guidance? Or enjoins righteousness? Have you seen if he denies and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees? No, if he does not desist, we will surely drag him by the forelock. A lying, sinning forelock. Then let him call his associates. We will call the angels of hell. No, do not obey him, but prostrate and draw near to Allah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Indeed, we sent the Quran down during the night of decree. And what can make you know what is the night of decree? The night of decree is better than a thousand months. The angels and the spirit descend therein by permission of their Lord for every matter. Peace it is until the emergence of dawn. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. لم يكن الذين كفروا من أهل الكتاب والمشركين منفكين حتى تأتيهم البينة. Those who disbelieved among the people of the Scripture and the polytheists were not to be parted from misbelief until there came to them clear evidence. رسول من الله يتلو صحفا مطهرة. A messenger from Allah reciting purified scriptures. فيها كتب قيمة. Within which are correct writings. وما تفرق الذين أوتوا الكتاب إلا من بعد ما جاءتهم البينة. Nor did those who were given the scripture become divided until after there had come to them clear evidence. وما أمروا إلا ليعبدوا الله مخلصين. مخلصين له الدين حنفاء ويقيم الصلاة ويؤتوا الزكاة وذلك دين القيمة. And they were not commanded except to worship Allah, being sincere to Him in religion, inclining to truth, and to establish prayer and to give zakah. And that is the correct religion. الذين كفروا من أهل الكتاب والمشركين في نار جهنم خالدين فيها أولئك هم شر البرية. Indeed, they who disbelieved among the people of the Scripture and the polytheists will be in the fire of hell, abiding eternally therein. Those are the worst of creatures. الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات أولئك هم خير البرية. Indeed, they who have believed and done righteous deeds, those are the best of creatures. جزاؤهم عند ربهم جنات عدن تجري من تحتها الأنهار. تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها أبدا رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه ذلك لمن خشي ربه. Their reward with Allah will be gardens of perpetual residence beneath which rivers flow, wherein they will abide forever, Allah being pleased with them and they with Him. That is for whoever has feared his Lord.